Uh, friends, um, you are a very, very welcome congregation. When we enter this morning, um, you all greeted us, but um, also some uh, of you reminded me that I have a little accent. So this morning you will have a sermon with a Dutch accent. Um, and as we all know, it is not about the messenger, but it is about the message that the Lord will give us this morning. So let us turn to him in prayer and then we will preach. Lord, we thank you for this day, the Lord's day, that we can gather around your word and to hear what the Lord has to say unto us. And Lord, you know how we have come into church, maybe with cares and concerns or struggles or even joy. But that this morning, that your word will lift us up above the circumstances of life and that we may see none else than Jesus alone. In whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, when you read the Gospel of John, you come at the end of chapter 20 and then the word of the Lord says, and many other signs did uh, truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the things in the gospel according to John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. And so the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded thus a selected number of events that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. And he wrote these with this purpose, that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing that we have life, through his name. In fact, that could be the end of the gospel according to John. And yet, chapter 21 follows, which begin with these words, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. Friends, it is as it were that the Lord leaves us a final note and sometimes you have that when you leave the house, in particular for us as parents, you leave a note for your children or your grandchildren, uh, a note that something that they should not forget, they must remember before you come back, before you return. And so we may understand this final chapter of the gospel according to John. The apostle, the the Lord leaves us a final note, something that we must not forget, must remember, before he returns. And this final note that speaks what he has done, what Christ has done, and what he still does, and how we have to live while waiting for his coming back. At this final note, this reminder and sometimes we sing that with Christmas, the song, Hark, the herald angels sing. And then this line, eh? God and sinners 
reconciled. And so the living Christ, even now, he reconciled. And therefore, with the help of the Lord, I want to meditate with you on this chapter 21, which speaks to us of three things. It speaks to us to be reconciled with each other. It speaks of reconciled with yourself. And in the third place, to be reconciled with God. Reconciled, reconciliation. Friends, is it not the centrality of the preaching? And why we listen to a sermon. As the apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 5, now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that be you reconciled with God. And when we are reconciled with God through Christ, who was crucified, died for sinners, and is risen through him, we are reconciled with ourselves, and we can reconcile with others. And each is based on each other. And so you read in verse 4, but when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. The disciples, seven of them, verse 2, they were together, Simon Peter, Thomas, who called Dynamis, Nathanael, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other of his disciples. So this after Christ's resurrection, the disciples went fishing together. And so we note in verse 3, they, or we and they, and they, they caught nothing that night. But Jesus comes. And then they drew a net full of fish. And yes, a parallel account we can find in Luke 5, but before Christ's death and resurrection. Simon Peter over there in Luke 5, and the sons of Zebedee, fished all night, toiled all night, and have taken nothing, so we read, and Jesus comes and tells them to let the net down one more time, and there was a great multitude of fish. It was that time that Jesus called his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That time when Christ brought them together, brought them to himself. And yes, friends, very different persons. But they were together. Simon Peter. Simon Peter, maybe we can say an existentialist, an, a person that lives by proposition, that existence precedes essence, a, a doer, a man of action, a man of emotional response. And then we have John, maybe the rationalist, someone whose opinions and actions are based primarily on reason and knowledge rather than an emotional response. Maybe we could say someone who loves committee work and think it through rather than immediate action. But it was he that first recognized and understand that it is Jesus who is standing on the shore. Peter and John, so different and yet brought together by Christ, called, follow me. And then we read about Nathanael. Nathanael is a, a skeptical one. Eh, can there anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet he believes quickly, 
when Jesus called him and said to him, when you are under the fig tree, I saw you, and whatever took place under that tree, we don't know. Only Nathaniel knew and Jesus knew. But when Nathaniel was confronted with this truth, with the all-knowing Christ, he believes immediately. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And in contrast with the quick believing Nathaniel, we also read about Thomas, who is called Dynamis, the, the twin. Reminding possibly about his twin mindedness. Thomas, who was the last in chapter 20, who showed a great difficulty to believe, as many of the other disciples did. But also Thomas is this man of devotion to his Lord. And yet they are together, despite their differences. Christ had brought them together. Christ called a people to himself and brings a people together. People that are so different. Maybe also us here as a congregation. Different walks of life. Different stories of our life. Different struggles. Different cares. Maybe different concerns. But this morning he gathers us around his words. And we confess that with the word of the Apostles' Creed that begin, I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is in faith that we believe that and acting as if the Bible is true, as it is true. And that creed that ends, that says, I believe in, in the universal church, the communion of saints. I believe that. I have faith in the church, in, in communion, in a unity. I believe that, that the church is a people that are brought together, that is a supernatural work of the Lord, that Christ brings people together. I believe that unity is possible, and I act and I trust in the Lord who brought sinners together through Christ. Yes, and many pollsters and sociologists in America can tell you in the United States that people says I'm spiritual but uh, not religious or something like uh, I believe in God but I don't need to go to church and, and yes friends maybe there are many people that are hurt by the people of the church but with the creed we confess God and the church belong together and therefore belong and therefore we confess that but also do we live that do we act on that? Do the people around us in this community see that we are a testimony of God's grace? That with all the variety also in this congregation, that we have been brought together, the Peters, the Johns, the Nathanels, the Thomases, the doubting Thomases of this world, but Christ called us together despite our differences. Christ reconciled. And yes, friends, when we do not see that communi community, and when we do not see that communion of the saints as it ought to be, it is very often that we are not reconciled with ourselves. 
And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle James reminds us in chapter 4, what causes fight and quarrels among you? Don't they, do, they, do not they come from your desires and battles that is within you? And when you do not acknowledge, and let us be honest this morning, when we do not acknowledge our own weakness and our brokenness and our sins and our shortcomings, that battle within you, maybe we hold the appearance to be strong or maybe we hide our sin, but we don't see ourselves as we really are. And you cannot deal without God's grace with the flaws and the brokenness and the sins and the shortcomings in your life. Unless we are not reconciled with ourselves, with that reality who we are by nature, how can you reconcile with those around you? Only Christ can change that. Through the living, living Christ, which brings us to our second thought, to be reconciled with ourselves. And the passage that has been read, which includes also the verses 9 to 17, is maybe a case study for that. Christ dealing with Peter pastorally, and Christ healing of Peter personally. And Christ is doing that by rehearsing to Peter a reality in his life. And friends, it was a painful and grievous reality. I remember what happened at the end of Christ's life, when all the disciples left him. But Peter, he denied his Savior. Peter, who was so close to Jesus, belonged to the inner circle of Jesus, a confidant, and it was he who denied the one who had called him, follow me. I would say in particular painful and grievous moment. Peter, who with all that had happened in his life, called by Christ, taught by Christ, but he is also one who, who do not come so, so quickly comes to grips who he really was. And when Christ told his disciples that the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered, not so, says Peter, not so, through all these, the, these disciples shall be offended because of you, yet I will never offend you. It, it is as it were that Peter says, I love you, Lord, as none of the other disciples love you. These shall be offended, Yet, not me, not me. I will not deny you. But then we know, when Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin, declared to be guilty of death, Peter standing by the fire, very publicly denies his Savior three times. Grievous, a deep, lamentable fall. And friends, when that happens in, in our life, yeah, also the life of a Christian, that can happen. Called by Christ. You know who the Lord is for you. You know his love in your life. 
you can speak of forgiveness of your sin and shortcomings. And you know what grace is in your life. And that there are times in your life that you fall and you fail and you offend God. How do you live after that? How do you live after that? Maybe that you have been in a place where you did not want to be. How do you live after that with yourself? Well, here is what we see in chapter 21. Look what Christ is doing in healing Peter, reconciling him with himself. In verse 9, we, we see the Lord speaks of uh, Joseph about fire. As they were come to land, they saw fire of coals there. Thus Jesus brings back the setting of Peter's lamentable fall, fire. And not only that, Christ brings to him back the form of his denial. Verse 15, three times he says to Peter, as it were, Simon, reminding who he was, not Peter, but Simon, son of John. He says, as it were, Peter, you failed me. And Peter answered, I know. Simon, son of Jonas, you failed me. I know. Simon, son of Jonas, the third time, you failed me. I know. This that Christ reminds Peter of the content of the denial. Do you, do you love me more than this? Do you love me? Do you really love me? But it, it is that, that Christ recounts this reality in Peter's life. And Christ is as, as a skilled surgeon with a knife confronts Peter who he really was and, and heals Peter. He does not go back. Oh, Peter, what have you done? What a disciple. How can you fail? But Christ, he heals. He restores Peter. And how? Every time. The Lord asks him, do you love me? And Peter responds, you know I love you. You know all things. Friends, that is coming to yourself. When Christ reconciles Peter with himself. The Lord said to him the third time, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? And notice in, in, in the first two questions... Christ asks, he uses a Greek word that, 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 that is saying, a strong, intimate, deep love. Do you now strongly, deeply love me? But Peter's response is, Lord, I have affection for you. More Peter did not dare to say. He was humbled, deeply humbled. Affection, yes. But a deep, intimate love, looking to myself, Lord, it is so, it is so high. And, and then Christ responds. Eh? Christ humbles himself, comes at the level of Peter, and meets him in his life 
where he precisely was. He asked Peter the third time, not do you have a strong, deep love for me, but then Christ uses an, another word and he says, Peter, do you have affection for me? Friends, do you see the abounding grace of Christ? At the third time, he humbles himself. Christ humbles himself in the brokenness of Peter. And he says, as it were, Peter, if you cannot say then a deep abiding, strong, intimate love, but you have affection for me in all your weakness and your shortcomings, but you love me, you have affection for me, so I have affection for you, love you. Then you begin to understand, and maybe you know that in your life, eh? Peter was grieved, Peter was humbled by such a grace of the one he had denied. Because he had said the third time, you love me. And Peter, remarkable, he did not make any excuses. He did not try to escape his lamentable fall, but he opened his heart with everything that was in it, despite all what had happened. And he says to Christ, Lord, you know all things, and therefore you know also that I love you. And Peter does not rest in self-examination, but he appeals to the highest court of heaven, to the all-knowing and omniscient Lord outside himself in Christ. Lord, you know all things. And that include also that you know that I love you. And Jesus' healing of Peter, Jesus' restoration of Peter, in reconciling Peter with his own failings, Christ's response is this, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and feeding in the original is pastor my sheep, shepherd them. That is who Christ is, this living Christ also today. When he discovers you of your own weaknesses, your failings in your life, your shortcomings and sins and, and that you have to say, yes, I know. And then despite who you are, in all your brokenness, Christ give Peter a charge. Feed my lambs, shepherd my people. That is something. There are here together seven disciples. And Peter is the one who, who kept the appearance to be strong. And yet he is the most broken one. And the one with the deepest and most lamentable and grievous fall. And Christ says, this is my grace. So you can live even after your denial of me. This is my grace. Be a leader, be a pastor, be a shepherd, be a shepherd of my sheep, my lamb. And friends, how often in the world, and maybe sometimes in the church as well, there are often no second chances, but not so for Christ, the living Christ. Does not Jesus remind us in Luke 7, those forgiven much love much? Lord, you know all things, 
you know that I love you. And the more we come to terms by God's grace of our brokenness, of our shortcomings, of our sins, our failings, the more you begin to see God's healing and restoring and re-establishing grace. And also the more reliance on the Lord Jesus. A transform you in the person the Lord wants you to be. There was once a minister, a pastor, who was a bachelor. And once he was called to a school with a lot of young boys and girls. And for him, hearing the stories of those boys and, and girls was almost a challenge for him. Having no children of himself, he had some difficulty to relate to them. There was even sometimes a frustration in him when he had to go to school. And so one morning he took his Bible to find some strength for the day. And then he opened his word, God's word, and it came John 21. Feed my lamb. And it brought him down on his knees. Seeing what, what a shepherd heart, what a pastor's heart he ought to have. He was called as a pastor, as a shepherd, to love and to care and to serve people and to relate to them unconditionally. Without, have, without having no, no intellectual or social or emotional benefit of all. It is not uh, feeding cats and getting some affection back, but lamb, lamb. You don't get anything back, but to give and to feed them patiently, caring and lovingly. Having such a shepherd's heart and pastoral heart, how is that possible, friends? Oh, is it not only possible as Christ showed Peter and us this morning, when you see yourself as you really are, but in all your brokenness, that you are lifted up, scooped up by God's grace. By God's restoring grace. So that you are enabled also by his grace to serve and to care and to love the people entrusted to you. The people around you, the congregation and beyond. My sheep, says Christ. Even, even people, maybe sometimes you do not want to spend too much time with. But it is possible it is possible when you are reconciled with your own weaknesses and your brokenness and your failure, through and by Christ. Now, by this time, maybe you ask, how, how can I have such a heart for those around us, for those in the community that the Lord has given me a place? Well, that is our last thought, to be reconciled with God. Because verse 18 of John 21 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself, and wolves ready your wool. But when you are old, you stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird thee. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, he said to Peter, Follow me. Friends, what is the Lord teaching us in this final note? 
Well, at least two things. You shall stretch forth your hands. And we all know, and I hope you have learned also by grace, when you open your arms, you stretch out your hands, you become very vulnerable, but also you can embrace. It is as Christ says, pattern your life, your shepherd, your pastor's heart after me, even to the point that you are willing to die for my sake, which Peter did. Eh? Scholars have pointed out that stretching forward your hands can be understood as an idiom of, of crucifixion, which is clarified in these words. This speak here is signifying by what death he should glorify God. And we know from the early church fathers that Peter emulated the death of Christ, but with the cross upside down. It is as on the cross of Christ, Christ who became the ultimate shepherd and pastor, unconditionally caring, loving. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. For his friends. For denying friends. For failing broken friends and Christ in all his vulnerability with open outstretched arm nailed to the cross till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid also you are my sin you are my shortcomings, our lamentable falls and failures, so that you may testify here in the death of Christ I live. Does that not humble you? Seeing such a great love, Christ's love for such a great sinner, reconciled with God and therefore reconciled with yourself, which enable to reconcile with those around us, to enable to go out and to reach out to others. Yes, in all your vulnerability, but also to embrace. As Christ reached out to Peter. And again, as we read in the gospel, after Christ's resurrection, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Oh, friends, it transformed, it changed Peter completely. And Luke 5, what I uh, recalled earlier, when they fish, they caught nothing, Jesus comes, and, and when they see this great multitude of fish, Peter saw who Christ was, but also who he was himself, confronted with himself, he has to say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But in our chapter, when he hears it is the Lord, Peter flees to him, goes to him as he is. Peter can attest, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. May I ask you this morning, does that testimony not resonate in your heart? Reconciled with God. 
through the blood of Christ that cleanses from all your sins. Learn by grace to, to look away from yourself, looking to the cross, seeking our life outside ourselves in Jesus Christ, who welcomes, who welcomes with outstretched arms, who reconciles, who restores also now. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, we read, follow me. This may be the last words that Christ has spoken. Follow you, me. It's kind of a surprising note, eh? these last verses of the gospel here. Jesus says to Peter, in what manner he will die. And Peter, he looks to John and he says, but what about him? Christ answered, but what is that to you? Christ says as it were, Peter, Peter, stop looking to another. Don't compare you with those around you. I have a plan for John. If I will, that he tarry till I come. And so, I have a plan for you. But you, you follow me. Keep your eyes, keep your life, your shepherding, your pastoring, fixed on me, on Christ and him alone. Look to me, says Christ, and to me only. And is that not the gospel call of the Old Testament also this morning that comes to all of us? Look unto me and be safe all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Is it not the gospel of the New Testament looking unto Jesus, the altar and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith? Friends, how is it in our life? Reconciled with God? Reconciled with yourself? So that you can reconcile with those around us? And many other Signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but this is written, this chapter, this last note, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing that we may have life through his name, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let us pray. Lord will give that blessing in our life also for this new week that lies before us this labor day weekend that you have given us to fix to keep our eyes on jesus we pray it in his name amen